This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, January 14th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. The National Security Agency's overreach is now widely acknowledged, but if President Obama and Congress followed the advice of the president's hand-picked reform panel, the NSA may come out with a significant and unexpected policy victory. Jim Harper, Director of Information Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, explains. The president, despite some evidence to the contrary, says that he welcomes this debate over the uh, proper role of the NSA. He's appointed a group to to look into it. Uh, one of the concerns that uh, you have is that the NSA might actually get a policy victory out of their horrible mismanagement. I suppose so, yes. And the, the issue is data retention. Since Since before the president's review group looked into the NSA's activities and came out with their report, I've been hearing from people, uh, goodwilled people on Capitol Hill, for example, who think maybe there's a way to split this baby and we could have the telecommunications companies hold on to the data and then it could be queried when appropriate. Uh, that would be a protection. And that's a measure of protection from the NSA, isn't it? Well, what they're talking about is a data retention regime. And that's a debate that actually ended some years ago, whether or not the United States would require data retention of telecommunications service providers and others. So what was the context of that debate? Well, it probably came from some of the same places that the NSA program does now. But uh, President Bush's Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez, for example, came up to Capitol Hill and said, we really need a data retention mandate because that's going to allow us to do better law enforcement. Uh, we should require, as a matter of congressional policy, that telecommunications companies keep data about the uses that, that people make of their telephones for five, six, seven years, whatever it is that, that, that the government needs. Now, telecoms keep information about our calling in order to serve us better. They need to know how to tune their networks. They need to have the data on hand to bill us. Uh, they, they use it to, to figure out how to keep customers. So there's, there's a natural length of time that telecommunications companies keep data. And it's also there for law enforcement. That is, if there's a legitimate investigation and they need data and they provide a proper legal process, they should get that data. Uh, so there's that natural length of, of data retention. But the government wants a longer data retention period. And it debated, Congress did, de debated de data retention year over year. And finally, a bill that was uh, nominally aimed at child protection but really aimed at getting data retention passed without any data retention in it. And I think that concluded a couple years ago that Congress wasn't ready to adopt a data retention mandate. Along comes the NSA with its own data retention program, illegal program, I'll, I'll say. And the reward it might get for that is a data retention mandate that Congress rejected years ago. Is there any functional difference between having AT&T and Verizon and other companies hang on to this data than having the NSA hang on to this data? There are a number of differences at the margins and some that may be important. Uh, I think that if the telecom companies have the data, uh, the NSA won't be able to access it uh, as easily and it will be more likely to uh, be under scrutiny if it does because it has to go to a different entity rather than just access the data on its own. So the oversight would be marginally better. The time frame by which the NSA could get the data might be a little slower because it would have to submit a request to an outsider. The security issues under a data retention mandate are significant because a telecommunications company is a, is a uh, more diverse enterprise. It's going to have more uh, people having access to data. And so the security risks, I think, are larger in a telecom company. The one consistency between the two that's easy, easy to miss 
is that both of them cost millions, probably tens or maybe hundreds of millions of dollars to administer over years. They're costs that are imposed on society, whether on all of us as taxpayers or on all of us as telecommunications consumers. Hundreds of millions of dollars spent to preserve data about us because at some point in the future, we might come under suspicion of wrongdoing. Now, that's backwards in terms of the uh, traditional uh, guilty until innocent until proven guilty mantra. It's backwards in terms of the Fourth Amendment, which requires suspicion before you start gathering evidence against a person. And I think it's upside down in terms of the cost because the value of these programs is very small. Would the NSA care about having a data retention mandate if the third-party doctrine were not a part of the law today? Well, I'm sure the NSA would want to have the data under any circumstance. The use it's made of the third-party doctrine is to rationalize the data retention that it does to these foreign intelligence surveillance panels, the panels of judges that many people call a court. I disagree that it's a court because it doesn't have the important elements that a court does, including adverse parties. Now, just to be clear, uh, uh, the third-party doctrine refers specifically to the idea that you and I lose a Fourth Amendment interest, that is to say a privacy interest in information that we give to third parties. So numbers that we call uh, documents we keep on the cloud, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anything that is on the cloud, we, as far as the government is concerned, we don't have a particular privacy interest in. That's their argument. It originates, the third party doctrine does, with a pair of cases that, that came after the Bank Secrecy Act. Bank Secrecy Act passed in 1970 required banks to maintain information about their customers and turn it over to the government upon request or if uh, the, the bank reasonably suspected that there was some wrongdoing going on. These cases ratified the idea that a person doesn't have Fourth Amendment interest in information that others uh, hold, that they hand off to others, to third parties. And that, that approach, I think, was wrong at the beginning. And it grows even more wrong with, with each passing year as more and more of our lives we, we put online. The correct way to look at this, and there's actually some deep, deep precedent for it, is that when we hand something over to somebody under contractual agreements that obligate them to keep it secure, we still have a Fourth Amendment interest in that information. Uh, it's still arguably our property. It represents papers of ours, if in digital form rather than uh, a form factor for cellulose. And we, we have that Fourth Amendment interest. So the third-party doctrine uh, was, was quite wrong at the beginning, and it justifies the collection of, of information about our telephone calls. I'll note especially that it came out of financial services, that it, it originated in banks. So don't be surprised to learn that a program like the telephone calling program exists with respect to credit cards, with respect to checks, with respect to other payments we make. The surveillance we know about uh, maybe a little bit more than the tip of the iceberg, but we haven't seen all of the iceberg yet. We should expect to. Jim Sensenbrenner says that data retention runs roughshod over the privacy rights of Americans. He's one of the authors of the Patriot Act. Uh, what should we see legislatively uh, coming over the next year to potentially head off uh, some weak need reform? Well, it's a certainty that we'll, we'll see something happen when the Patriot Act provisions at play here need renewal. I believe that's in 2015. This is a little too far off for my liking. But I guarantee you that someone in the position of Jim Sensenbrenner and many other members of Congress, both uh, Republican and Democrat, liberal and conservative, are going to have something to say uh, when, when uh, reauthorization of these Patriot Act provisions come up. But before that time, we've seen already introduced in this Congress a thing called the USA Freedom Act. 
And uh, uh, I like the fact that uh, Congressman Sensenbrenner has come around. I, I, I'm surprised that he uh, claims authorship of the USA Patriot Act because it's so reviled. But as an author of the USA Patriot Act, he said that he did not intend for Section 215 uh, to, to authorize this kind of mass surveillance. It really, it really did in their thinking and in the language they used suggest that there should be a program to gather information when there are specific investigations underway. And when an investigation is underway, the, uh, the relationship of information to that investigation is absolutely essential. Right now, the argument that the NSA uses and that the FISA panels have adopted is that anything that might be uh, interesting to any investigation in the future is within the ambit of the NSA's collection, and it's not protected by the Fourth Amendment because of the third-party doctrine. That's bad law. It's bad policy. It's bad for our privacy, and it's bad for America. Jim Harper is Director of Information Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.